read tonight uh, for our text from the Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I remember as a kid watching the preacher before he went to the pulpit and trying to decipher how far his finger, he or she's finger, was in the back of the Bible. And if it looked to me that it was coming from Revelation, it made me nervous. I wasn't right with the Lord. And I knew some things that might be said, which I knew were true. Well, they stuck or they got to me at my heart, as the Word of God does. But if we're right with the Lord, we need not be afraid. Even the book of Revelation, a lot of times folks believe that it's mystical or apocalyptic and so forth. But we know that really the purpose of the Revelation was to reveal unto us what the Lord would have us to know about future things coming. And of course, Revelation is unique in in that it gives a very uh, comprehensive description we could say by revelation or by vision of what Jesus has already done or accomplished. Also, it gives us special insight about what the Lord is doing right now in heaven. And it also gives us a special insight about the final destiny for Jesus Christ, his second coming, and of course, is the ultimate eternal kingdom. History tells us that the Romans were known for sending their prisoners to islands, and of course Patmos was one such island where we find that the Apostle John is writing from. It's not clear if he was imprisoned here or if he was uh, more simply banished here to live. But to get in our minds, the island is only about seven and a half miles from north to south, and its widest spot, I understand, is about six miles. So it's a 13 square mile little island, and because of volcanic activity, there's very little in the way of trees, and it's very rocky. So these were the accommodations that the Apostle John has, or had, when he received probably really the most important revelation in all of the Bible, and it's because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. What has Christ already done? Well, the Lord himself says so in Revelation 1.18. He says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. So the first thing he says is that he was he that liveth. That is to say, Christ came as a man. He lived as a human being on earth. He was ultimately tortured, nailed to a wooden cross, and he was crucified prophesied that he would be crucified, which was a manner that had not been invented at the time in which it was prophesied. But Jesus here goes on to say, and was dead. Of course, that refers to the burial 
of Jesus Christ. He was put in a tomb. But he goes on to say, Behold, I am alive forevermore. And finally, he says, And have the keys of hell and of death. And this, of course, we know means that the Lord has victory over the grave, over hell, and over death. And there was uh, no battle that the Lord had with the devil down somewhere for these proverbial keys. The enemy is not and was not in charge of hell. In fact, Matthew writes uh, the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, uh, 25, 41, speaking of hell or really ultimately of the lake of fire, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's who it was prepared for. And sadly, humanity in many cases chooses to go there. But we see here what the Lord is referring to as his life on earth, his death, his barrier, burial, and his resurrection. He was the first fruits from the dead for you and me. And of course, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we find these letters to seven churches. And so we see the church steps on the scene. And, and if you look at a map, all seven of these churches would be in modern-day Turkey. Ephesus, it was the church that lost its first love. Smyrna, the Bible, if you read through the letters that are written, tells us that it was a church that would be tried, a church that would suffer persecution, and so you could call it the suffering church. Pergamos was one that held fast the name of Christ, but if you keep reading, ultimately they allowed the false doctrine and they used Balaam, the writer Jesus in his revelation uses Balaam as the example. Thyatira was the church that had good works, but it ended up being the adulterous church. Sardis, the church that had a name of being alive. It had a good name, but it was dead. Philadelphia, we know to be the church that had, the word of God refers to it as a little strength. They had kept God's word, not denied the name of the Lord. And then lastly, Laodicea, the church that was neither hot nor cold. And so the Bible says that Jesus said, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And of course, we know that they knew what lukewarm water was. There was a hot spring a ways outside the city. And by the time it made it to where they would drink of it, it was lukewarm. And then after this, we know that the church period began, or we know that it began on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out and the whole purpose of the Spirit of God being poured out was for the gospel to spread, for there to be workers in the field or in the vineyard for Christ. Many think that these different churches, they represent different periods in time of the church dispensation. And it, you could look at a church and find which one, which uh, letter might apply to a particular church. But we find the word church over and over in chapters 2 and 3. But something changes in Revelation 4.1. He says, and, and after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee these things which must be hereafter. From chapter 4 on, the church is not mentioned again in the scripture. And if you look at, he says here, Come up hither. That means to go up, to arise, to ascend, to rise up, or even to spring up. Revelation 4.1. 
According to 1 Thessalonians 4.16, some of the most familiar words in the scripture, we hear that there's a voice of an archangel, there's a trump, or we could say a trumpet of God. And in, if you read there in 1 Thessalonians, it said, We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And caught up means to be seized, to, to be pulled, or to be taken by force. And so it could very well be that John the Revelator was seeing a vision of this very event. Some have supposed as such, but we do know the church is not mentioned uh, again in this particular uh, book the rest of the time. And if you read through chapter 4, what an unbelievable vision he sees up in heaven. He sees these creatures around the throne of God. He sees these four and twenty elders around the throne of God, and he sees this picture of worship and praise around the throne of God. In Revelation 4 9, it says, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thank to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever... So those are these creatures giving glory to God. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. This is a scene that all of us can witness as well one day. In chapters 5 and 6, we get a, a snapshot of where Jesus, our meteor, mediator on behalf of us, is right now in heaven. We know that Peter, and, and in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus has sat down on the right hand of God. And in one place, he says, of the throne of the majesty of the heavens, very majestic uh, words. And here in Revelation, we get really a further Perspective in Revelation 5, 6, he says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, the picture here is he's in the midst of the throne of God, a lamb that had been slain. And if you continue to read, you find that the Lamb of God is the only one that's worried to, uh, worthy rather to open the seven seals and you get into the tribulation, which we will not get into tonight, to tonight. But we can see as you continue to read in Revelation that Christ has things yet to fulfill. And of course, not the least of which is his second coming. In Jude chapter 1 verse 14, it says, of course, there's only one chapter in Jude, verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. The seventh from Adam. So if you go back in the generations, you have Adam, Seth, Canaan, Mahaliel, Jared, and then Enoch. And of course, we know in Genesis, Enoch was very special. In Genesis 5.22, it says, And Enoch walked with God. And in fact, uh, the writer says in verse 24, the same phrase, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Well, that word took means fetch, carry away, or actually to seize. We see some similarities here. It's like Enoch had his old rapture before even the rapture. So this prophecy thousands of years ago, not just hundreds of years ago, is something that Jesus has yet to fulfill. And we know of Christ and his 1,000-year millennial reign. 
And all of this really is what leads us to our text. Revelation 21.7. Remember, Christ is going to fulfill everything, and in a sense, we're along for the ride. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. You know, that's what I've been thinking about lately. Our inheritance. This idea or this concept or this statement by the Lord where he, he literally says, shall inherit all things. I, I've had trouble wrapping my mind around that. Christ himself speaking to the overcomers that, that the saints of God are going to inherit all things. Sometimes we hear in the news about a, a, a huge inheritance. A wealthy family or individual gets passed on and there are actually records that are kept for the, the largest or the greatest inheritances. The Walton family, I think it was in 1992, when that inheritance was passed on, it's worth probably over $200 billion at least, probably more. The Koch family, the inheritance in the 1980s, they, uh, there was an oil business that was inherited by the next generation. One of the biggest ever is, is the Mars family. If you like M&M's, Snickers, Twix, Milky Way, Dove, Skittles, and many more, that was a mighty big inheritance apparently in the 1930s, if I understand correctly. Many individuals have inherited billions of dollars. Many billionaires quite young because of their inheritance. But as I thought about this, how Christ says we shall inherit all things, all of these inheritances are actually laughable relative to what God has in store for you and me. So Jesus himself, as part of his revelation, that's what he's saying here. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That is to say, the saints of God, we inherit it all. We inherit the best through Jesus Christ. Well, we want to know who are the overcomers. That means to subdue, conquer, prevail, or get the victory. And this is what we get and we receive through Jesus Christ. He gives the victory. He gives what we would call the ability to overcome. We know, first, we might say we're going to inherit a new body, the Scripture teaches us. John, uh, 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Our body is going to be completely changed and glorified. I can't wrap my mind around that, but that's what the scripture says. We know Christ, after he had rose from the dead, he could walk through walls. He could eat. He, there's a number of things that he could do. This mixture of physical and spiritualness with this glorified uh, uh, body. But this also, I believe here, includes our minds being changed. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, twice, we shall all be changed. He says it again, we shall be changed. And we must put on more immortality. And you know, that word immortality means deathlessness. This is our inheritance. The inheritance for the body and the bride of Christ. And I believe this change needs to take place in order for us to see Jesus as he is. That's what the scripture says. After we're changed and like him, we shall see him as he is. Again, in 1 John 3, 2. And no doubt our current 
physical bodies cannot handle the joy and the gladness and, and, and the experience that it will be to be in the presence of God one day. So we must be changed. You know, our inheritance is no more pain, no more nerves, no more sadness, no more suffering, no more confusion, no more tiredness, no more worrying, no more depression, no more sickness, no more pills, no more temptation, no more burdens, no more separation, no more waiting. No more chaos. Look around the world at the chaos. No more aloneness. No more labor in a fallen world. No more tears, the scripture teaches us. And of course, no more night. And we could go on and on about our inheritance, but we're looking forward to that day. We are. That's our inheritance. That's the promise from Christ himself of what we get to inherit. Paul, in writing to the Romans, said, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. All of creation waits for that day, waits for what often is referred to the final consummation. Our inheritance is that we would be changed forever. And our inheritance is that we're going to have a new place to live as well. We know about the New Jerusalem that it's approximately 14 to 1500 miles, but designed as a cube. And if you look at uh, like structures and how tall buildings could be in a city like that, I read that there could be buildings that are 600,000 stories tall. The city has 12 foundations, each decorated with things like jasper, sapphire, emerald, Kaldunki, and many others. The Bible speaks of 12 gates and, and 12 foundations and pearls and glass that is uh, gold that is translucent like glass that we'll walk on. Revelation 22 talks about the river of life that seems like the center of the city that flows out of the throne of the Lamb of God. And, and that, and that water as, as that river of life flows, flows out. The Bible talks about the tree of life on both sides of, of that water somehow. In fact, in verse 2 of Revelation 22, in the midst of the tree of it, and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Did you know our inheritance is to eat of this tree? In fact, in Revelation 2, 7, it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What do you think that will taste like? This is our inheritance. But really, the new Jerusalem is just a part because the scripture tells us in Isaiah, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Second Peter 3.13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And we see a picture in the scripture of the new Jerusalem descending from heaven down to this new earth. The current earth is going to be 
changed, made brand new. Remember how it felt when your heart was changed and made brand new at salvation. This current earth will be changed. And it it appears that the new Jerusalem will come down and set on this earth and we will live on the new earth in the new Jerusalem. I prefer to be there where the big mansions are. But then throughout the Bible says, and the new heavens, like the whole universe will be made new. This is our inheritance. Revelation 2 and 3, it talks about he that overcometh that he will eat of the hidden manna. He will be made pillars of the temple of God. On us will be written the name of God in the name of the city of God. We will be given the morning star. We will be given a white stone and a new name. You could go on and on. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, says for... But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. Often we don't continue and read the next verse. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. What did you feel when the Lord saved you? You felt a piece of heaven, I believe. I felt a piece of heaven. The change that was wrought in my heart when, when the Lord saved and then when the Lord sanctified and, and when the Spirit of God comes down and sometimes we've been blessed and we feel like we can't handle it because our bodies need to be changed to be able to handle it even more. That's our inheritance. We want to be in the presence of God. And for a Christian, that's what we primarily look forward to, isn't it? To be in the presence of God. To walk up to uh, that road that has the... The water, uh, the stream, the water of life flowed out, flowing out, and, and the tree of life on both sides. I want to make my way. We all want to make our way to the very throne of grace to see the Lamb, Jesus, who was slain from the foundation of the world. The end of our text, after he says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You know, I've thought about that as well. That, that, that sounds or that feels very enduring. God's saying, I will be his God. God wants a relationship with us. And if we want to inherit all things and be an overcomer, God has to be our God now on earth. And in God says, and he shall be my son, speaking of you and me, the God of the universe. And something that uh, stuck out from a message that Brother Tony gave recently was that God is eternal, but God holds eternity in his hands. Sometimes we think God is eternal outside of time, but even eternity is held in the hands of God. And God here says he wants me and you to be his children. And in so doing, we inherit all things. Our question for you tonight is, do you have a relationship with the God of heaven? He has some very special things in store for you and me. And we thank him for that. But it's because Christ went to a cross. And because he suffered and died. And because he made a pathway to heaven by way of his shed blood, we must come by way of the cross. As we've heard about a lot lately with Easter season, that we can inherit all things. God will be our God. And God said, and he shall be my son. We want to challenge you tonight. Do you know the Lord? Do you have a relationship with God? Is he your God? Or is something else in this world your God? 
Are you focused on something else? Have you set your affection on something that will keep you from your inheritance, what Christ has and is preparing for us one day? He said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. He's drawn a parallel to a Jewish wedding, and they understood what he meant because God is preparing a place for his bride, for his church. We live in the church dispensation right now. The point is, we need to be saved, we need to get sanctified, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to make it. We're going to have a time of prayer. Do you know the Lord? Please ask him into your heart tonight. The song is 563. Let's pray.